0: Well, um, I heard Brother Charlie say a little something about being stirred, going back on campus, and I I agree. I have just recently been refreshed as we've gone out there and engaged sinners, just gone to the open air at these uh, concerts and what have you. You know, when you step out by faith and you embrace the call of God and you engage the loss, and the spiritual blood will begin to flow, amen, so to speak. And, uh, I have been blessed as we've uh, just gone again here in the beginning of the fall, and I find myself uh, convicted as well by the Spirit of God, challenged. uh, As I ask myself the question, am I burdened as I should be? Am I burdened? And you've heard me say this many, many times. Perhaps nothing so exposes our inadequacies Like practicing biblical evangelism, if you can go onto the street or the open air and preach and engage sinners and just walk away and and not be you know convicted or compelled in your spirit to press in, and you don't see there's a need to be you know more equipped, more anointed to know to know Jesus in a greater way that you can rightly or accurately represent him, then there's something wrong with you, amen. I said, there's something wrong with you, and you need to be humbled and broken, praise God. But, uh, you know, I I have just, uh, in my mind, am I burdened in my spirit? Am I burdened like I should be for the lost? Because if you're not burdened, and really maybe not just for the lost, but just burdened with the burden of God, you know, true ministry flows out of a burden. And if we're not burdened as we should be, then we are not going to represent the Lord Jesus Christ as we should. We're going to read here out of the Old Testament first from the book of Exodus. Chapter 23, Exodus 23 and verse 5. And then we're going to turn over to the Gospel of Matthew. Exodus 23 and verse 5. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden and wouldest forbear to help him, thou shalt surely help with him. If thou see the ass of him that hated thee lying under his burden and wouldest forbear to help him, thou shalt surely help with him. You see the individual that hates you? Amen. There's a problem, there's a need. And you would think, well, I'm not going to help him. I'm not going to do anything. Uh-uh. No, no, said God. You help him. You help him. Now turn over to Matthew chapter five. Amen. Verses forty-three through forty-eight. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you, and pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven, for He may give his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust, for if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans or sinners the same, and if ye you salute your brethren only. What do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect. And we preach Christian perfection, amen? And notice that Christian perfection as moral perfection, sanctification, holiness, all through the New Testament, always linked to what? Love. Always linked to love because love is the fulfilling of the commandments of God. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Amen. We're talking about having a divine burden, having the burden of God, seeing things as God sees things. Amen. Hating what God hates, loving what God loves, having the heart of God, we must have God's burden. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you, Lord God, to deal with our hearts here today. I pray, Lord God, that you would exhort us by your word and by your spirit. Lord, that we would be compelled to seek you. Lord, that we would see our needs here today. We want to be a vessel to communicate Christ. We want to be a vessel to preach the gospel as it should be preached with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. We want to be anointed, Lord, that the destroy that the yoke would be destroyed. But Father, we ask you, Lord God, that we would enter into that burden that you desire to give us according to your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As I said earlier, if we're not burdened for those that God has called us to minister to, then we're going to do very little. And that's an absolute. Man says he's called on the mission field that he should be burdened for those people that God has called him, amen, to preach to. A man says, I'm called to go on the street or I, I know that I should be uh, uh, executing the great commission. There has to be a burden for those individuals that are lost and on their way to hell. If there is not a conscious burden, amen, for the individuals that God has called you to minister to, then you are going to do very little good. Sooner or later, you are going to misrepresent God. Our text here from Exodus, of course, though, is an ordinance from the Old Testament law. Nevertheless, we know that the law offered men a glimpse of the moral character of God before there was the living testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. It says in Hebrews 10 and 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come. We read from Matthew chapter 5, and we see there that Jesus corrects the religious errors in thinking that were common in his day, and he expounds on the true meaning of the law. He said in verse 43, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Now, like the new, the old covenant commanded God's people to remain strictly separate, to be pure, undefiled, and uninfluenced by the pagans. But God never, not even once, instructed the Jews to hate their enemies. But in fact, he commanded in Leviticus 19 and 18, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Amen. That's not a new commandment. Amen in the New Testament. Jesus is quoting the law when he uh, commands us to love our neighbor. However, Israel made two fatal mistakes in interpreting this statute. First of all, they falsely assumed that neighbor meant only the people of their own nation or their own, uh, uh, you know, people that they were akin with. And uh, we see that same type of error today among professing Christians. And it contributes to all types of eras in thinking. You know, to, uh, to think that my neighbor is merely those of my own, that, that contributes to patriotism. And you see a lot of people blinded from a particular truths. They refuse to receive instruction from the Word of God because they exalt their bias towards those who are part of their own nation. Amen, patriotism. It contributes to racism. When people are biased towards those of their own race and they refuse, they cannot, it it hinders them from receiving from the Word of God. Amen? It contributes to family idolatry. (coughs) When it's just me and mine, that type of mentality I'm going to take care of mine, I'm going to take care of my family. We know that that's a truth, but that can blind you if it is not, you know, uh, received. In the right priority. But Israel, first of all, even they had interpreted that statue, they assumed that neighbor meant only those of their own nation. Secondly, they reasoned that this gave them liberty to hate their enemies. But we know that Jesus corrected such carnal theories. In Matthew chapter 5, he does so by precept, and we read that. But later at Calvary, He conclusively and eternally reiterates the same principle by practice. Amen. And no one can argue with what Jesus did. Amen. He loved his enemies. Amen. He loved his enemies, which includes you and I. Amen. Which includes you and I. Now, it stands to reason it requires no divine grace to love and to do good to those who love and do good to us. Jesus, as we know, confirmed this when he said, For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. That's typical to the human experience. That's typical even for sinners to do good to them that do good or, or them that love uh, them. But it requires a supernatural burden to do as God has done in sending Christ to die for the ungodly. It says in Romans 5 and 8, But God commendeth. His love toward us. And I think that's very important that we remember that that plural or all-inclusive term, us, is used, So we can remember, amen, we were part of that. We had need of divine sacrifice. Amen. God commended His love not just toward them, not just for a need to breathe, amen, not just for the Illusion Club patron. God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I think it's very important for us to note uh, that to understand the concept that sinners are not victims, sinners are culprits. That's essential to rightly representing God. And we see that that era has permeated and leavened most of evangelical Christianity today. You know, when when you speak to people on the campus or you're you know, witnessing and preaching and you begin to talk to professing Christians about uh, evangelism and the method, the biblical method of evangelism, if they don't, you know, at the very bottom, there's a false premise, there's a wrong foundation. And that is that sinners are somehow victims of sin, amen, and not authors of sin. And uh, from that mentality, if you don't get that straight, it doesn't matter. You're just, you know, uh, you know, working with the with the branches out here. You've got to deal with the root. And unless people see God correctly, amen, and then see man correctly and sin correctly, then they're going to misinterpret the entire gospel. But it's also just as important, amen. Once we recognize that sinners are authors of sin, culprits of sin. It's important, essential, imperative that we remember that we were once sinners, and God had mercy on us. Amen. And if you forget that, you're going to misrepresent God. Amen. I thank God. You know, I deserved hellfire. Amen. You deserve to go to hell. Amen. We we didn't deserve anything from God. We didn't earn anything from it. God. Didn't have to save us. But He did save us. And so likewise, we're sent to be a vessel of blessing, a vessel of light to the ungodly, to the unlovable, to those who deserve the judgment of God. But we need to remember they, like us, know they deserve the judgment of God. And they need to be warned. And they need to be told. They need to be instructed in the ways of righteousness. But yet, we must have the compassion of God toward those individuals. Somebody say amen. amen. I believe contained in this Old Testament ordinance is a brief outline whereby we can learn how to maintain and to, or to obtain and to maintain a burden necessary to rightly represent God. Amen. amen. Let's look at it here. In Exodus 23 and 5, and this is going to be our primary text. We see that it begins, If thou see... If thou see. You see, sight makes us culpable. Amen. Seeing, recognizing, knowing makes us culpable. And not only that, sight is necessary for vision. Now, you see, we, by going out to the Illusions Club, by going to LSU, going to SLU, by standing in front of the Joel Osteen Crusade or Billy Graham Crusade or wherever we may go, as we should be going, we're saying, That we see. So there is a moral obligation. Amen. We have gone and we must go. And because we see, we must reach out. But there is more to simply going and speaking for us to meet our moral obligation to those. It says, if thou see to fulfill our God ordained call to love, it will first be required that we see. And to see, Amen, we're going to be burdened. And I believe to be burdened is essential to truly having a vision. In other words, if someone says, I have a vision. God has given me a vision to be a missionary. God has given me a vision to be uh, an event. God, I have a vision. God has given me a vision to go to the nursing home, to the prison, whatever it may be. I believe if you save a vision, but you're not burdened, then you're a liar or you're deceived. You must be burdened. Our call to loving action begins, though, with the faculty of sight. Amen. We must see. Amen. And when we see something, it is going to affect, amen, our inner man. You know, I I, I think back in the early days of my Christianity, and, of course, the first thing uh, that I saw as far as, you know, an outreach to the lost, I saw that I needed to fulfill the Great Commission. And God almost immediately said, sent me to the street into the open air. It was not a passing hobby. It was not something that really even was isolated to a given day. Amen. It was not something that I just got stirred up about at camp meeting. It was a passion. It became an all consuming thing. Amen. I, re- I you know, uh, I didn't know about, you know, one day I'm going to pastor or be an evangelist. I wasn't thinking along those lines. I knew one thing. God called me to preach. I'm living uh, right next to LSU. God called me to preach over here where I used That's where I began. At what? Jerusalem. And I'm going to go here where I used to be lost in my sin, where no one told me about Jesus, where I was never confronted with the truth, and I'm going to preach the gospel. But there was a burden that came upon me. Amen. I saw a need. And then there was action. Amen. You know, when I began to uh, first, it uh, it was in front of the bar rooms that I used to uh, go to. And then it branched out into the campus. And, you know, it wasn't just something. Well, on Tuesday, I preach on the campus. And I know we preach on Tuesday. And that's fine. And I'm not necessarily speaking about I had a lot of time as a single young man. But it wasn't just that I preached. Amen, hey, at night we would go out there and pray and, and, and wrestle with God for souls. We were believing. We were expectant. It, it was something that we did. It was an all-consuming thought. We were driven. We were burdened to glorify and, and magnify Jesus and what he called us to do. I remember years later when I began to, I had told right up the road here at, uh, New Day Church. I told the pastor. He said, "What are you going to do one day uh, when you pastor?" I said, "Pastor, I'm not a pastor. Anybody? I'm not called to pastor. I'm called to, you know, preach out on the street. That's what I'm called. I, I didn't have any idea that I would pastor a church. Never thought that I would. And uh, wasn't shortly after that though. Suddenly I became very burdened. Amen. I saw needs. Amen. Just it began to consume my thoughts." It was something I was driven to do. And out of that, listen to me, that has to be with us. We can have that. And we all must have that if we're to minister. But it begins with seeing. In the natural sight is the ability of our eyes to gather visual information and send it to the brain. The brain then translates this information, and this is properly called vision. Think about it. If there's a man that's blind, a blind man, he's unable to conclude or make any decisions, whether it's night or day, whether it's winter or summer, unless he relies on his other senses. So it's said, amen, that he is a blind man or that he has no sight, he has no vision. Hence, sight gives us vision, and vision enables us to rightly discern conditions as they truly are. Thus, apart from the ability to see, there could be no vision. Amen. And I believe a vision and a burden are basically synonymous. We know when Christ came, he opened the blinded eyes. We see this time and time again throughout the Gospels. And I believe that this offers us a twofold lesson. Number one. Yes, God wants, amen, to heal people with natural blindness. Amen. It's His will, will to heal, amen, the sick. But the second thing that I believe that that teaches us in the spirit, amen, it's the will of God that we rightly see. He wants us to see, amen, as he sees. And not only that, he will provide us with that vision, with that divine revelation, if we will seek him for it, amen. We are commanded essentially to see. One of the marks of a backslidden heart is the dulling of the spiritual uh, perception. Not being able to see rightly. Not being dull of hearing. A hardness of heart to receive by faith the word of God. When we grow spiritually cold, we forfeit the privilege and the ability to see as God sees. And think about it. There's nothing perhaps, you know, more valuable. Uh, What an honor. What a privilege to see as God sees. And if we don't see as God sees, and we don't have the perception or the vantage point of the Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. then how can we really do effectively the work of Jesus Christ? which we are called to do. This is commonly referred to as spiritual blindness. A man under the old covenant could perhaps shirk his responsibility by offering the excuse, I saw nothing. But under the new, Jesus commands us to anoint our eyes with saw that thou mayest see. Now what is this saw that Jesus commands us to uh, ask or to pray for. Amen. Well, Isov is nothing more than divine revelation or the divine perspective via the Word of God and the Spirit. You know, you just don't pick up a Bible and receive divine revelation. It's not intellectually discerned. Amen. It takes as much, amen, of the power and the anointing and the wisdom of God for you to understand the scriptures as it took for the scriptures to be inspired and originally pinned. Do you understand? It's just so much, just as much a supernatural miracle for you to pick up the Bible and read the Bible as it was for Peter to originally, you know, pin his uh, epistles. It requires God for us to understand, God for us to see. The seeing eye and the hearing ear, amen, they come from God. And we must constantly be crying out to God, amen, that we might see. You see, this is the command, that we would anoint our eyes, amen, with this divine eyesight. Because we'll never act until we first see. And yet we're obligated to maintain spiritual sight so that we will possess vision. And we're all familiar with Proverbs 29 and 18, where there is no vision, where individuals lose that divine perspective, when we no longer see as God sees, Amen. when we no longer have the perception of Jesus Christ, then the people perish. But he that keepeth the law happy is he. You see, there's always a connection between the vision and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ or submission to the Word of God. Secondly, vision is imperative for the burden. And we see this communicated spiritually in this verse. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden." You see, sight constitutes vision. And vision empowers us to comprehend. Amen. Again, a a verse that uh, I've often quoted. Mine eye affecteth mine heart. We must see what we see. And it, again, this, is, this isn't always natural sight. Many times, as you seek God, as you press into the things of God, the inner eye of faith sees and discerns things as they really are. Things that we formerly did not see, or things that we were dull of understanding, or that, it, it, you know, how many times uh, it, it, when God fills you afresh with His Spirit, as you begin to press in, that you make statements like, I hadn't seen this you know just yesterday or last week or I was in a spiritual stupor and now my eyes have been opened sometimes it has to deal with the person of God himself To see him as he is in all his beauty and glory, the provision through the atonement of Christ. Amen. Other times it may have to, it may relate to our our ministry to others or whatever it may be. It's absolutely essential that we have this vision. And if we don't have that vision, then we're not going to have a burden because our eye affects our heart. We cannot identify with what we do not know. Only when we see as God sees can we feel as God feels. Furthermore, as this statue indicates, we may see what the owner of the mule cannot see himself, that he's got trouble and he's unaware of it. That's a possibility, amen? Amen. We can see things that other people may not be aware of. of, course, that sinners would not be aware of. Amen? We see a burden, amen, and we're commanded to take it up. More often than not, the enemies of God fail to see what we know, what the Bible teaches, that God's law has been slighted, and they're in grave danger, but they do not realize it. Now, they're willfully ignorant. They could know, but they refuse to know. Amen? They're willfully ignorant, and I'm not denying that. But nevertheless, amen, we are called to awaken or to alarm them. They may not want our help. They may not appreciate our help, but we're still obligated to help according to the command. They may doubt that our methods are effective. Amen. They may not believe that our help is going to be effectual. That doesn't matter. We're still called. To obey. No one said that we're, uh, the scriptures doesn't say that we're to convince the owner of the mule that our help is going to be effective. Only that we are to help. Amen? Amen. There's nothing more frustrating and grievous than to see a man destroyed while he willfully falls into a blind stupor. In other words, while you cry out to people, open your eyes, live, choose life and not death. That's a very frustrating thing. But you know, that's what God sees everywhere. And that's to enter in, amen, to the passion and the burden of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, if you preach the gospel and you deal with humanity in general, amen, of course, Jesus died for everyone. And very few people from the eternal perspective will appreciate or acknowledge his sacrifice. And yet he did it anyway. Amen, And we're to follow Him. Vision not only alerts us, though, to the sinners or the hypocrites' danger, but also to sympathize with God and His Word. As the psalmist declared, horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. This not only should provoke us, amen, and give us a burden for the spiritually blind, but also a zeal for the testimony of God. And listen to me. That should be our primary motivation for the glory of God. Amen. For the exaltation of God. Because we love God. You see, this is a very valid and necessary expression of love. As the Psalmist said in 119 and 158, I beheld the transgressors and was grieved. Amen. Not, he didn't mention because they perished, but because they kept not thy word. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's not part of that because I believe the burden of God includes that necessary compassion that constitutes divine love. I don't believe that we can really be grieved even with people breaking God's law and really love God supremely without also having compassion for the lost. But, but listen to me, we should be grieved for God and we should be zealous and jealous for the testimony of God. And this is really the foundation for all other uh, acceptable love. We see that God granted vision so as to burden his men throughout the Bible. We see this throughout. Remember David and his men at Ziklag. Amen. In 1 Samuel 33 through 4. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. The Bible says of Moses, the future deliverer of Israel in Exodus 2 and 11. He went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. The psalmist said in Psalms 119 and 136, rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. Isaiah the prophet was compelled to prophesy because he saw the burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. You see how we must perceive. We must see. There must be vision for there to be a burden. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because he saw and he was burdened. Jeremiah 9 and 1, Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Again, in Lamentations chapter 3, he said, Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission. Amen? Now, listen to me. When we, uh, you know, see all the, you know, the errors and all the the uh, compromise and all the distortions of what's called the gospel in this hour, we should be burdened for those that claim to be a Christian. And, you know, think about it. And again, I I think back in my own experience, I know that it's possible to avoid all this error because somehow I avoided it, amen? And it wasn't because I was smarter than someone else. I believe if a man really wants the Lord Jesus Christ, then God is going to providentially lead him to where he needs to be. And I can testify that that happened in my own life. But nevertheless, and again, there was human vessels that were sent into my life that knew the difference that were an example to me. And oftentimes they cleared things up that could have been confusing for me. You know, I I told you in the beginning, I I knew that I needed to go on the street and I've uh, testified many times before how you know, I wasn't saved a few months and took my dog down to Chime Street by myself and was very disturbed. It wasn't a week or two later, I met a man who regularly street preached. And there wasn't any more street preachers back then than there are now. But God providentially allowed me to meet someone to help me, amen, to be an example to me, to be an encouragement to me. There had to be that human vessel. And perhaps I would have continued to go. But it was a lot easier when I found someone who could open up the Bible. And out of an exp- they were a living epistle, a testimony to me. See, we should have that type of burden. We look around, we see the destruction. Amen, there needs to be a burden for those that we know who are being deceived. In the New Testament, we see an example of this in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Luke 19 and 41, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Therefore, the pattern holds constant. Vision is a prerequisite for a spiritual burden. And a spiritual burden is something we must absolutely have. Now, this is what you you know here this morning need to do. You need to ask yourself, do you go on the street? Do you go uh, to the Illusions Club? Or do you go to LSU or SLU or to these events? Do you simply go out of a cold, calculated duty? And again, I believe that those uh, disciplines are important. But listen to me. There's got to be more than that to really be effective. There has to be a burden. There has to be a yearning of your heart to, first of all, rightly represent God. Without a burden, that's impossible. Burden translates into action. Thou shalt surely help with him. Amen. That's going to require him for you to really help. Amen. He's going to have to cooperate. But you're to reach out and you're to seek to help with him. Amen. He's got to want that help. But we have to extend ourselves. A burden compels us to act. When we see... We gain vision. When a vision of need is presented to a regenerated heart, a burden then is generated. First John 3 and 17. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now, you know what? You think about this verse. If we do see, in other words, we, the things that we say that we see, If you here tonight would say, I have really no compassion. Well, according to this scripture, it doesn't seem that you... If you've seen something, the only way that you can be void of love is that you have purposely or willfully shut up your bowels of compassion. In other words, you see something, amen, that you're to act upon that vision. And if you'll act upon that vision, then God will bless. And see, as I open this uh, service, this message... I have been refreshed, I have been compelled, I have been constrained, I have been convicted. This is nothing new, it happens all the time. Even when there's a season of inactivity and then you begin to press back in, you begin to embrace the call, you begin to engage sinners, you're stirred, you're convicted, you see there's a need to be anointed by the Spirit of God. And so as we go, as we see. Amen, we must open up our heart. We must be willing, amen, to have compassion. We can't just simply shut our bowels of compassion. A bird will always compel the Christian to act unless he chooses otherwise against the Bible and to act purely out of a motive of love. This is nothing more than a reflection of the love of God displayed in his plan for man's redemption. In eternity past, God saw the condition of wayward man even before the fall and it provoked a divine burden that translated into action. Revelations 13 and 8, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You see, God saw the need and he provided. Prayer, preaching and service that flows from a burdened heart is graced with a spiritual depth and power that will not otherwise be there. I want you to hear that. Because this is so true. Prayer, preaching, and service that flows from a burdened heart is graced with a spiritual depth and power that otherwise would not be there. Now, I'm not talking about feelings, because you may not always feel burdened. But as a general rule, when a man is burdened, he is going to feel something. He's going to recognize And his inner life, you see, as I've told you, when I was burdened to pastor a church again, and even to this day, it consumes my thought. Much of my life is the fact that I'm called to preach. And, you know, it's true that I, you know, every moment of the day, I'm not, you know, meditating on that. But if, you know, if I settle down and my mind is not occupied uh, with anything else, then that's there. Amen. It always comes back. Amen. It is a driving motivation in my life because God has called me and I must be burdened or I'd never do it. And that's what people, a lot of times people aren't doing or they're not rightly doing because they're really not rightly burdened. I believe a burden working in the heart of man in the very simplistic or the practical Uh, Outworking of that is expressed in Job 32, 17 through 20. I said, I will answer also my part. I also will show my opinion, for I am full of matter. The spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is as wine, which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips. Now, this is speaking just about verbal communication. There's much more to the calling of God or ministry in general. There's much, much more to ministry than just speaking. But nevertheless, I believe this applies across the board. And this has been my experience, and especially when that service, the end of it, or in retrospect, looking back and seeing the irrefutable mark of the anointing of God's Spirit there comes a burden, an inward burden. And it is such that the, you know, the one who possesses this burden says, woe be unto me if I preach not. Woe be unto me if I don't. It's not like, well, I, I'm going to have to speak. It's time for me to speak. And you know, this is one of the things that I get convicted about because I can remember a time when I went on the street and uh, you know someone would have had to muzzle me to keep me quiet. Amen. because it was just bubbling up. I'm going to explode if I don't open my mouth and speak the Word of God. This is a burden that we need to have. And I'm not suggesting that every uh, single moment it must be like that. But if we're void of having this inward compelling, this constraint, this grace, amen, that drives us to do and drives us to speak, amen, a, a, the fear of God, if I don't do this, I'm going to be in trouble with God, I'm not going to fulfill what God has called me to do, then we're not burdened as we should be. It could be just to be the wife that God called you to be, amen, I... It, n- doesn't necessarily have to be toward the lost. But whatever God has called us to do, we must be burdened. When we go, when we speak, when we pray, when we do, if we're burdened, we will be compelled to obey, to find peace and rest with God. Amen. What a glorious thing to know I got something from God to say. I've got something from God to do, and I must do. Amen. It'll help you overcome any fear. It'll it'll, it'll help you overcome every spiritual obstacle when you know I must. I must. I'm compelled by the Spirit of God. We must have such a burden. I believe the Apostle Paul reveals one of the greatest secrets to his zeal when he said under divine inspiration that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Amen. You know, the Jews, like uh, with Jesus, the Jews were Paul's greatest antagonist. And yet he was so burdened that they would come to the knowledge of the truth. In fact, ultimately, this burden from the apostle was instrumental in his martyrdom. It pushed him. To go, to continue, to confront, to speak. He was burdened, amen. And because of that, he glorified God. This epitomizes the spiritual burden I believe that God would desire us to have. And not only that, listen to me. If God commands us, amen, if we see to help, then we are obligated to act. Is that right? And if we're obligated to act, and obligated to see and act in the love of God, then if we'll pray for God to give us such a heart, then He'll do so. Amen? That we can be burdened. It's very simple, not complex. shouldn't be confusing. Amen? It's something... And and this is the thing. When you really begin to consider, you know, all the things that we have need, of, there's so much to pray for. We shouldn't have any problem having a prayer meeting around this place. There's so many needs. Amen. We need the anointing of God's Spirit. Oh, I tell you, I can remember a time going in front of a place like Need to Breathe. We were out there and I just thought how uh, you know many times, you know, 20 years ago when I was in front of the River Center, me and two or three other people with a little, you know, poster board we drew Jesus on. Amen. And just went out there and stood and we believed that three of us, four of us, 15, 12, uh, 10, 15,000 people poured into that river center, we believed we had the word of God and that we were shaking that entire river center. We were absolutely convinced, amen, that we were there with the word of God and that that word was effectual, amen, and we had more power, amen, available to us to do what God has called us to do than we would ever need to reach those 15,000 people. It is a glorious privilege do the will of God, and we need to be burdened to do it. Let's stand here this morning. Praise the Lord. If we'll ask, Amen. And if we'll believe in God, I believe will burden us. We say that we see, and I believe that we do to some degree. We see things that we should see, and therefore we should have vision. We see the enemies, our enemies have need. We're not, we're not to excuse sin in any way. We're not to excuse sinners in any way. But we are to intercede for sinners. And we are to allow, amen, our heart to be tender and broken toward those that are lost. If we'll come in these altars and ask God, I believe no business.
1: So plain to see, time is getting shorter. Anyone can tell the story, just cannot stand. All the things that God created in their beauty, they are now being destroyed by. delight in Him And do His perfect will My friend, I feel the time Is drawing near When we shall see Our Savior as He is. But until then, I'll lift the name of Jesus and until then I'll lead his lost sheep to the fold I'll tell the world Jesus lives He still saves and he still gives He can still find sweet refuge for his soul It's so plain to see the time is getting shorter. Anyone can tell this old world just cannot stand all the things that God has created in their beauty, they are now being destroyed by mortal power.
0: Holy nation
1: who we'll delight in Him and do His perfect will. My friend, I feel the time is drawing, drawing near when we shall see our Savior as He is. Until then. I'll lift the name of Jesus Until then I'll lead His lost sheep to the fold I'll tell the world Jesus lives He still saves and He still gives You can still find sweet refuge for your soul Now, we're gonna move to my new mansion. It's custom built mm-hmm. by hand, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And when we gather around the throne with our Savior, we will sing as far the angels cannot sing. Until then I'll lift the name of Jesus Until then I'll lead his lost sheep to the fold. I'll tell the world Jesus lives He still safe and he still gives You can still find sweet refuge I'll lift the name of Jesus Until then I'll lead his lost sheep To the fold I'll tell the world Jesus lives, he's still safe He still lives He can still find sweet refuge Late to see time is getting shorter anyone can tell this old world just cannot stand all the things that God created in their beauty they are now being destroyed by mortal men. God. Raising up a holy nation to delight in Him and do His perfect will. My friend, I feel the job is drawing nearer. Drawing when we oh, shall see I'll our see. Savior as He is. But until then, then I'll live the name of Jesus. Until then, I'll leave his lost to the goal. I'll tell the world Jesus lives, he's too safe, he's still there. You can still find sweet refuge One more time, until then. name of Jesus, until then I'll lead his lost sheep to the poor, I'll tell the world Jesus lives, he's still safe, he's still we he can still find sweet refuge for your sin. Give
0: the Lord have a hand clap of praise. Amen. We need to be burdened. Praise God. Believe as we go, as we see, make it a matter of prayer. We see our inadequacies to meet those needs. Amen. That God can equip us and harness us for the task. Amen. Praise the Lord. Brother Charlie, would you dismiss us? Let's pray for those students we preach to and uh, those Individuals in that band that we preached to as well, brothers, were dismissed.